Hello, everybody, and we are back for another episode of the American Gods podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is Sarah. Hey, Godlings. So, uh, still recovering, I think, from South by Southwest and the uh, trailer from last yes, week. Yes, that lovely trailer. Yeah. I mean, that was really phenomenal. I I didn't expect it, as we said in the podcast. Um, we were, I think, astounded, really, by how it was dropped. And in retrospect, I think it was probably the best thing they could have ever done, right? Yeah, that was smart to do it after South by Southwest. For like, Our expectations were just like dropped. We're like, okay, you know, no trailer. We're just going to, you know, wait and pine for the day we get our pilot episode and then boom suddenly they heard our complaining and the gods answered our prayers and there was a trailer (laughs) i know because they cut all that and everything in you know just the space of time between when our our episode was posted and uh (laughs) you know the trailer coming out of course i was like thanks guys (laughs) yeah couldn't do it the day before but whatever it was totally fine just to sit down for like a 30 minute chat and actually get to just you know, squee over all the good stuff we saw. Yeah. How many times have you watched that trailer? Really? Like 50 times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Uh, I've poured over every frame of that trailer multiple times. It's uh, truly something to behold. I can say that. Uh, I, You know, here's the thing. When we didn't get a trailer, I was disappointed. And I think the reason that the trailer, when we did get it, surprised me so much was that we were, we were, I don't know, we were getting the sense that they were doing some different things with trying to get this show, you know, out there. You know, they weren't putting trailers out. They were doing things with Instagram and they were doing things with social media, um, little, you know, um, you know, memes and, and gifts and all of that. I mean, just little things that were not necessarily a trailer. Which I think is good, but you know you can never beat a trailer. There is an inherent um, greatness to a trailer in the the amount of people that will see it, the amount of eyeballs that you'll get on YouTube. You know, to see a trailer yeah. is going to be way more than you know whatever you can do you know otherwise on social media. You can, you just can't beat it. Exactly, because it's also just the way you can stylize a trailer draws you know eyes that aren't familiar with the tv show and say hey this looks really cool maybe i'll check this out when it when it pilot when the pilot airs right yeah it that's the thing i liked uh about this uh reveal was that it allowed us to to let everything at south by southwest kind of just fall away and uh, like I said last week, you know, that trailer coming out the day after South by Southwest was brilliant in that all the attention, you know, fell on American Gods in the trailer. You know, when we didn't get it at South by Southwest, I thought, well, you know, that's it. Uh, we don't have a trailer. Uh, we only have six weeks or so to go anyway. So it's not like the biggest thing. But it was disappointing mostly, I think, at the time because it had been so long since the first trailer. That did not have another trailer at all. I couldn't understand it, you know. <laughs> I know because it was like seven or eight months since the first trailer premiered, and we're just like, man, I can't imagine them not putting out another trailer. It just seems crazy to not do so. So we just figured that okay, yeah, they're going a different path. Um, 
we're just gonna take it and <laughs> wait for it. But yeah, I'm really happy that they dropped another one. I don't think they're probably going to release a third. I think this is as much as we're gonna get. But I'm really grateful to have gotten another trailer at all. <laughs> right. I don't think there's gonna be another trailer. I don't see the point. Um, it's a good thing. I think two trailers are enough. I wish I wish movies would do the same thing, honestly. You, know, you get to a point where by the time a movie comes out, you already have seen you know, three, four, sometimes five trailers. Yeah, like Beauty and the Beast. I mean, there's like three or four trailers. You got to see teasers and movie clips. And it's like, I already saw half this movie before I walked in. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. That's a big problem. There's a whole bunch of videos on YouTube. There are articles written about how trailers are ruining movies because they do um, such a terrible job at keeping anything a secret. You know, the best jokes are in the trailer. The best, um, the best lines. You know, often best shots. The the best. You know, the plot points, like the biggest plot yep. points, are in the trailer. You know, so when you go and you sit and watch it, like you said with Beauty and the Beast, there's nothing that surprises you. You know, exactly. All the uh, wonderful moments, all the the things that make you go wow, you've already seen. So what's the point in going to see the movie? You know, like every once in a while you'll see a really really good, um, you know, set of trailers for a movie where they do it right. Right? They they tease just enough out, they they leave you completely, you know, excited because you know just enough to get you excited, but you don't know more than that. And even by the time the last trailer comes out. You're like, oh boy, I can't wait to see this movie. All I want to do is go see it because I know it's going to be awesome or I think it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to just go in and sit and watch it. But I have no idea what's going on here, you know? Yeah. Like, so uh, a movie that did it right, we just reviewed it recently, Kong Skull Island. You know, they only released a couple trailers. Um, they didn't show a ton in it. You know, the, of course, it's a King Kong movie. But you see him through most of the movie. And so you didn't get all of the shots like you did in like trailers for uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, where he's in like every single trailer shot and you already know when and what's going to happen in each scene. It was really nice and refreshing to get to see a completely drawn out story, but not have it already spoiled in the trailers. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So hopefully they uh, continue to do a better job when it comes to these things as the, the years go by here um i don't know exactly when that changed because i don't i don't know when the trailers were always this bad but i also don't think that tra- there were that many trailers up until the last 15 years or so you know um it used, it to, used be, to be got, just you have your well, first your second maybe a teaser and that was it right yeah I, I one or two trailers is all you got you know like you go way back i mean way back you know, back in like the seventies, eighties, um, when trailers were coming out, you had one trailer. That was it. That was you don't you didn't get two, you didn't get three, you got exactly. one trailer, and that's why so many people went into movies, knowing only the information that was on that trailer, and that was oftentimes, you know, just enough to get you excited and nothing more. But now with so many trailers out, it. You know, it takes out all of the um, the excitement and the um, I don't know the the reason to really go sometimes because I've seen <laughs> like, some really bad ones. 
Like, I can fill in the blanks myself. I don't need to go and pay to go see it, because I've already seen half of it. Yeah, I've, I can save my $12, thanks. Exactly. <laughs> Which is ridiculous how pricey they are these days. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole uh, other topic. <laughs> right. I, you know, there was um, a website for my movie theater nearby, and... Uh, I hadn't been there for a while because I usually don't go and pre-order my tickets. I often don't need to because most most of the time there's no reason. You know, I'm just going to go. I'm going to buy my ticket and go into the theater. But every once in a while, like with Star Wars and a few others, and I think Beauty and the Beast also falls into this. Logan uh, as well. I did I did it for Logan. Um, those are ones where you have to go and pre-order or you should go and pre-order. Otherwise, you have a good chance of not getting your ticket if you don't get there like an hour before the, the show starts. Yeah, or getting stuck at the front. Right. So um, I went yeah. to the to the uh, website and there's this big picture. All right. And don't get me wrong, I'm excited. But I just know there's going to be a price bump for this. But they have a, a picture of the chairs like they're gonna take out all the all the ones they have in there now, and they're gonna have these really really comfortable chairs that recline. And it also looks like they'll bring you your food, as well. That's if, what we have up in Canada here. Right. So. Yeah, it's just like um, and they have a certain theaters that are for adults only, certain age limits, and you can have alcohol and your food take taken to you, and yeah, those uh, tickets are twenty bucks a piece. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Gee whiz. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, twelve dollars down here currently, um, but I'm expecting a, I would say two dollar price bump per ticket uh, for for this um, these chairs and whatever else they're doing here. I I have to imagine it's going to cost them some money, some real money to do this. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah this isn't going to be anything for like free <laughs> for us. They're going to they're gonna pass that cost on to us. So they're coming. We'll soon. get our money back from you. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Well, I don't go to the movies that as much as I probably should, but with doing Freaking Geeks podcast, I I find myself going a lot more. But we have it's to. more and more frequent. <laughs> yeah, we have to. You know, we've got big movies that are coming out, and we got a room for the podcast. So. And March was a busy month because we had like uh, Beauty and the Beast, King Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, Logan. There was one more, wasn't there? Logan. Logan, yes, the, Logan. And then also at the end of the month, I don't know if we're going to, we haven't talked about this, but Ghost in the Shell is coming out, and that there's a lot of talk around that one. Like, I don't know the previous uh, movie about it or show, I think it, it was. It was, an, it was an anime. Okay, it was an anime. Yep. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about that, but I know that there's lots of controversy over this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a fair point uh, that you're making with uh, the March controversy. March is a busy, busy month. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of excited for it. Uh, it's one of those movies I've been hearing about. Like, it's been slated to be made for many, many years. In fact, uh, I believe it was once maybe a James Cameron uh, possibility he was going to do something with that. Um I'd have a little more faith if he was doing that, but the current director, I'm not a fan of his, so it's going to be like hit and miss. Uh, it, it could be really great, or it could just bomb. Right, and we don't know. I mean, Scarlett Johansson's always good. Um, yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, uh, you always get a full commitment from her. 
that being said, how good this movie is, well, we're going to have to wait and see. You know, sometimes these animes, they don't translate as well to cinema as you'd like. Uh, maybe yeah. in the right hands with just the right vision, you know, you could do a great job with it. Um, it, it also depends on the anime, too, because it depends on the world that you're creating and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. Maybe we'll do it for Freaking Geeks Podcast. I'm not really sure yet. Um, I, I kind of... As we get I'm curious closer. to see how it is first. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We may end up doing it, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, like it looks visually interesting, but as regards to the story, who knows? Have to see it to find out. Right. Yep. I think that's uh, the best idea. <laughs> Anyways, back to American Gods. Back to American <laughs> Gods this week. What people are here listening about. Yeah, we're on about. Uh, <laughs> about just, uh, movie ticket prices and uh, movie trailers and everything. Just bitching like old people. <laughs> yeah. I'm already there. Okay. Um, yeah, so American Gods. Hey, we're back. American Gods podcast, everybody. So, alright. So, what do we have on slate for today? Uh, well, you know, we have uh, some articles that have come out about American Gods. There's a ton, actually, out there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them have kind of similar points to make to be made right now obviously the show hasn't really come out the pilot hasn't aired so you're getting some um interesting angles that people are coming at american gods uh from and that's cool uh, we have stuff uh, about uh, jillian anderson as media the many pieces of media we'll talk about that in a second here uh, Neil Gaiman came out and officially gave kind of like his statement about American Gods, the show, and what his kind of verdict is here. Um, and uh, that was pretty cool. And then there's also a really interesting article about how um, the political landscape in the United States has recontextualized American Gods. So, you know, with uh, President Trump as, pre- you know, as, as he is, you know, the president. It's hard um, to say that, isn't it? <laughs> It, it is a bit difficult. <laughs> um, it is a bit difficult, there's no doubt. Uh, but it's an interesting article because we have a show about immigrants. So what does that mean when you know, you're know you dealing with this political landscape? So we're going to talk about all that today. Of course, we got chapter by chapter. Now, interesting point about chapter by chapter is that what we're doing with this one is, uh, we're kind of, I wouldn't say we're cutting it in half, but it's, I guess it's kind of cut in half. <laughs> uh, so much happens in this um, chapter here that I wanted to take the the stuff that happens after what we talk about and move it to next week. Because I felt like something is going to get lost in the shuffle. It's going to be hard to really sit and dive in and talk about anything in particular. Because if we just did the whole thing, it would cover like, you know, a lot of content. A lot of content, yes. So, and just two major events happened, so we decided just to do the first event, and then we'll save the other one for next week. Exactly. Yeah. So that's our plan. Um, if you're wondering about the the God profiles that I've been doing um, in recent weeks, and obviously, you know, we we pause that leading up to South by Southwest, and obviously post South by Southwest. You know, we had the trailer and everything and the, the uh, South by Southwest recap. Um, I'm going to pick that up next week. So I'm going to cover another god. Um, 
and we'll probably just do that leading up to the pilot, right? So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much what we have on tap here for this episode. Uh, next week, we'll have more stuff, and I'm sure there'll be more articles written and more interviews and things. So that's going to be fantastic. So, hey, look, from here on out, really what it means is there's going to be so much to talk about with American Gods till we get up to the pilot. And obviously, once we get to the pilot, we'll have a ton to talk about after that. Right. And this is what we've been waiting for. Right. Yeah. My God, like forever. And we both uh, took the day off for when it premieres so we can just review it and talk about it and dissect every single piece of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have to, you know, that it's kind of a necessary, you know, because there's going to be so much to dissect, so much to talk about, uh, so many notes we have to write down. Um, That'll be a very big episode. It's going to be a very big episode, as it should be. It's the pilot, of course. Exactly. It's the beginning of it all. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, what's on tap this week. So let's get started. So the first thing we want to talk about is uh, the many pieces of media. So there was an article... Uh, written where you know there was a screenshot of Jillian Anderson as four different pop culture figures because if in American Gods she just shows up as Lucy Ricardo and you know that's great but being the goddess of media that's not the only iconic pop culture figure that she would inhabit so right now at least there are four and we get to see a little image, a little collage that was created uh, where you had four different pop culture images. So Sarah, what did you think of this? And who are the pop culture uh, figures that she is going to be, um, I guess, emulating? So Brian Fuller posted up a picture of uh, basically media's face, but it's four different uh, faces of media, all kind of glued into this one picture. And... Uh, a girl um, went and dissected it, found the pictures that they're being emulated from, and uh, the top left um, is Marilyn Monroe, and then you have um, top right, which is David Bowie, which I'm very excited about, then you go down to the bottom right, and it's Judy Garland, and then to the bottom left, it's of course Lucille Ball, and she like put these images into their respective uh places on the actual full-size images and she did an amazing job uh, I, I tweeted it onto our uh, twitter handle and um, at american gods pod uh, if you want to see it but she did a really good job and so we at least get to know we get to see media portraying marilyn monroe david bowie judy garland and of course lucille ball like that's so exciting yeah it's exciting it's so cool first off the fact that she can pull all of these different characters off, you know, and at least from the images, from the little that we've seen, uh, it looks like it. And I'm sure that she's going to be phenomenal when she inhabits each one of these characters because I don't think they're going to do it unless it's going to work. Exactly. Like, especially when you're honoring such iconic people, like, you have to make sure you're doing it well or don't do it at all. Right. But, I mean, did you like the idea, the fact that they're going to be doing this? You know, having different mm -hmm. pop culture figures. You know, they could just stick to the, what the book did and just say, okay, you know, we'll have her be you know, Lucy Ricardo. And that's it. I love this. I love that we get to see an expanded media because Jillian Anderson is such a powerhouse of talent. 
I, I would love to see her in a variety of different character roles. That just makes me so happy. <laughs> well, it's also interesting because it allows her to, you know, as an actor, stretch herself. You yeah, know, she gets to play around a bit. Exactly. So she could just show up as the same, you know, Lucy, and that'd be fine. But at the same time, you know, you want to push yourself as an actor. And the fact that you can take on an iconic role and an iconic, you know, uh, whether it be, you know, an actor or a singer or whoever, you know, the fact that you can do that and really kind of try to inhabit that, that person to give a performance in a show like this, I think that that is uh, really interesting. Very much so. I can't wait to see her interpretations of these iconic figures. I mean, especially Bowie, because not only does she have to, you know, be able to pull off the face but also the voice and just his mannerisms i'm really curious to see how she does that yeah you know a lot of effort goes into that you know oh yeah i think people don't often imagine what actors do to prepare for roles and the fact is because we just think they just come on set and go in front of the camera and act you know like it's that simple Sometimes I feel like actors don't get a lot of credit because uh, their craft gets um, marginalized a little bit. And I think it's just from the lack of understanding as to what goes into being an actor. You know, so say you're taking on, you know, what you said, uh, David Bowie or Judy Garland or whoever, anybody. You know, if you're going to try and be accurate, you know, you've got to get, the, like you said, their mannerisms, their voice. So, you know, these actors or actresses, they're sitting in front of a mirror. They're they're looking at, you know, footage. They're mimicking what they see. You know, they're, they're trying to get the voice down just right. And they'll spend, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours doing this. So that then when they go out on camera, they do it justice. They don't want to insult that person person you know even if they're dead or alive it doesn't really matter they don't want to insult their, either the memory or them in real life by not going out and really giving a, a as as amazing and as standout a performance as they can so that they do them justice exactly and like a really good example of this is uh, i had talked about this a little bit uh, when we did our review of split on freaking geeks and that is the movie sybil where Sally Fields has to portray uh, so many personalities. I think it's like, it might be 10 or more. Uh, but she you know, created the mannerisms and the personalities and all the little ticks and quirks that goes with each of these people uh, over time. And she got so enveloped into these characters that it took her months to pull out of each and every one of them and become herself again because she was so engrossed in in their mannerisms and their characteristics and that is true acting in its finest yeah oh i agree definitely definitely i just i want people to understand that being an actor and actress it's not it's not easy you know they're good it's no walk in the park no there are good actors out there and there are bad actors out there you know but there are they're actors and you know, everyone's always working on their craft. You know, to be a great actor takes a lot of work. You know, that they're, they're they'll do workshops. They'll workshop constantly. You know, and when you're a young, struggling actor, 
you spend most of your time if you're not auditioning and you're not working a job so that you know you can eat and live you're basically working on your craft and it is a craft it is uh, something that is continually um, improving and you do that up until the day you die you know yeah, exactly it's, developing as you age right so, but it's, it's never something you perfect you know it's like being a painter you know as great as michelangelo and da vinci as great as any any of the great painters that we know were they would all tell you that they never painted or did anything perfectly because it doesn't no. exist life is about cha- chasing perfection but hoping you never actually find it yeah yeah but anyway back to uh jillian here i mean it's really interesting and i can't wait to see what she does with with the the media role because i feel like given her talent she'll really be able to do a phenomenal job so i'm excited for that oh heavens yes she can do anything (laughs) she's like eternally talented right all right so let's move into uh, another one of our articles uh neil gaiman came out gave his uh impression of american gods now to be fair this one is uh little biased i think right because he he was actually <laughs> it's helping his work right he was well well he was helping behind the scenes you know he actually mm-hmm. helped uh write the scripts for some of this um and i think he was probably heavily involved uh getting this thing kind of off the ground so i i want to state first off yes this is not a um uh, a review that you should just go oh well you know the author never had never stepped on set or anything and now like he was involved but that being said it's still his work right i mean it, this is still a representation of his work but he has given it a enthusiastic thumbs up he thinks it's phenomenal um so that's that's um something that i think is good because anytime the author approves the adaptation it's a good it's sign. It's a good sign. You know, when you have an author uh, who hates it, just outright speaks out against it, that's never good for your for your movie. Rarely does that end up well for you. So, Yeah, because um, when Brian Folsom did Hannibal, we all love Hannibal and think it's a beautiful adaptation, but the author has vowed to never ever see any interpretations of his work and never laid eyes on it. And I think that's such a disappointment for him not even to have a mind open enough to see somebody else's interpretation of your work. Like, why not? I love that Neil Gaiman actually is open to this and he's involved. I mean, that's incredible to have like the actual author's you know influence upon an adapt upon an adaptation. Well, wait a second. So, did he, did he not watch even like Sansa Lambs or anything? From what I've heard, he's never seen any uh, adaptation of his work. No movies, nothing. Hmm. Wow. Mm. I mean, just from a personal standpoint, I can just say I, I'm kind of annoyed by that. <laughs> actually, um, I, I mean, like everyone has their opinion, right? And if that's the way he views it, fine. But at the same time, if I'm going to consent, if I, if I'm going to consent to let somebody make an adaptation of my work, because in that case he has to, right? So he he is signing over the rights to let them adapt his material for 
I guess a nice chunk of change, right? I mean, he's getting paid for this, right? So I guess what's kind of annoying because if I'm doing that, I feel like I should be, I should watch it. If I'm going to take their, yeah, I'm least... gonna, if I'm going to take their money so that they can do this, I should at least respect them enough to watch the finished product. Now, whether I like it or not is certainly up to me. If I'm the author, maybe I'll like it and I'll love it, or maybe I'll, or maybe I'll watch it and I'll like it, or maybe I'll watch it and I'll hate it. And if that's the case, fine. But you know, at least show enough respect to actually watch the adaptation, because you might come away loving it. Who knows? That's how I feel as well. Like this is just what I've heard. Don't take my words to the bank. If I'm incorrect, feel free, you guys, to let me know that I'm being incorrect. But that's just what I've heard. Um, and yeah, that bothers me too. Like, why wouldn't you like how somebody who created such an amazing story shouldn't have such a closed mind? Yeah, I mean, there's been so so many adaptations where the author has come out and ripped it apart. You know, regardless of the the fan reaction, you know, or the audience reaction. Uh, have you ever seen um, Watchmen? Yes. Did you like I saw that um, Alan Moore, uh, he's the one that wrote it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know he doesn't watch or he doesn't like any of the interpretations. Like V for Vendetta, I don't think he liked that one either. Yeah, he, um, as far as I know, I don't think he's ever liked a single adaptation. He's a very grumpy man. <laughs> yeah, at least from what I, I can tell. And, and, I mean, maybe that sounds insulting, you know, but it's just... I don't know. I feel like you have to have an open mind because one thing you have to understand is the visual medium in terms of movies and television, they're just different from, you know, comic books or you know, anything like that because they are. I mean, just the, as books are different from movies and rarely do you just adapt straight a book straight from page to screen because some things are not going to work out visually as they do in the book. And, um, I think Alan Moore, I don't know. I mean, some of the stuff I understand and some of the stuff that's been adapted from his work hasn't been great. And Watchmen, even as good as it was, still had its own problems. But like I thought V for, v for Vendetta was great when I watched it the first time in theaters, and I, I think it's great now. Yeah, it was an incredible movie. And like I had seen the movie first, of course, before I read the comic book, but I went back and read the comic book, and I thought they were both you know, equally wonderful in their own ways. And they're very similar. There isn't, they don't stray an incredible amount. I don't see what the problem would be. Now, <laughs> uh, you know, people have their opinion and, you know, he just doesn't want his stuff, you know, probably adapted, I guess. But... Like, ooh, they cut the priest having dolls. Ooh, that's a big change. Like, come on. <laughs> mm. It's like, it's not that big of a difference. <laughs> it allows them to separate their work. And lift it up higher. If I never I thinking so. any of the ad adaptations are any good, I feel like maybe that's kind of why that happens. But um, anyway, um, there's also another article here about uh, the recontextualization of American Gods and the political landscape, specifically America. Although you probably could attach that to other countries as well. However, mm -hmm. uh, America being you know the place this is that this uh show exists in i think it's probably uh 
better that we look at it from the view of Trump as president. So this was an interesting article, and they talked about how, you know, considering the fact that this is a show about immigrants, because it is, you know, we all come from a different land, at least when America was first founded, you know, we came from all over, well, mostly just Europe, but obviously with the slaves and stuff that were here, you know, they also came from Africa. So considering that this is a book about immigrants and also to a larger extent, immigrant gods, and the fact that the cast is very diverse with people from all over the world, what do you think that this article is really saying? Because given our political landscape with immigrants being thrown out of the country, you got people, you know, taken down to Mexico and you have the borders mm-hmm. being flight bans. Yeah. Flight bans, things being shut down. Um, do you like that this has kind of been attached to American gods, this um, recontextualization? Uh, like, yes and no. Like, no on the fact that, you know, American Gods was written so long ago and in a much different time. And it's a story about people and gods, and it ha- it's beyond political rightness or okay. any influence that politics might have. And then you have the yes of, you know, it's good that it is happening in this time and age. So you can, hopefully you can reach audiences and help broaden their mind that, you know, maybe even turn some opinions around. It, it might have that power. Power of the gods, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I agree with what you're saying. You know, the like you said, the source material was written in a different time and you know rose-colored glasses and everything but still even back when this book came out you know things weren't perfect either back oh they never are but yeah right but obviously now today with things that are going on i can understand how you know with with what's happening out there with the borders and everything for some people that might uh, make this show a little more timely but the problem is like you said we're talking about a different point in time when this book was written so i feel like it is like you said beyond any of this you know it's not like it's a show about immigration it is a show in which people have literally brought their beliefs with them it just happens that you know it happened over a period of you know hundreds of years and you know different people from all over the world have come here but beyond that one aspect, I don't think there's a whole lot, you know, here to kind of attach that supposed extra meaning. And although, to be fair, you know, Brian Fuller, I believe, has come out and agreed with that statement anyway. So I, I can't argue with him. But at the same time, I think, like you said, it's not really about that. However, yes, because of the the diverse cast, because of the stories being told inevitably at least maybe there's a veneer on the surface of this concept of you know you know immigration you know when it applies to american gods and how it might have a new meaning considering the the presidency of trump yeah also like something 
that is positive about this being shown at during the time of um, President Trump uh, is that you're probably going to have a lot of immigrant kids who are scared if they don't know what their home's going to be like and if they're going to be able to stay in what they consider to be their home. And for people to, you know, see this and be able to watch this and feel a sense of, you know, this has happened for hundreds and hundreds of years, that this happens to the beginning of actual, like, civilization, that this horridness has happened, it's something to look up to and to cling to. It might be a comfort. Maybe. It might, that might actually be a good comfort for them, you know, to watch a show like this. I can't imagine what some people are experiencing right now in the States. It's really hard to even think about. Yeah, it is tough. But I think um, it's an interesting take. I do like the article um, because it comes out from, like I said, a different angle. It's cool. You know, and like I said, you know, Fuller uh, definitely agreed with the concept of uh, this article. So, like I said, I can't argue with that guy. He kind of runs the thing, so he would know best. <laughs> He's pretty much the god of gods. <laughs> hey, Godlings. If you'd like to find out more about us or send feedback of any kind, you can do so by going to freakinggeeks.com or sending us an email at freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can also go out into the Twitterverse where we're at American Gods Pod. We're also on Facebook for the American Gods Podcast. Or you could subscribe to us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks. All right. Um, I think that's it for our article talk. And so we're going to move into chapter by chapter to wrap up our episode this week. So, yes, this is the last chapter, right? chapter 20 28 and uh is this is a chapter which i'll be honest when i first read american gods i was so devastated by this chapter because <laughs> it ruins your perfect picturesque lakeside town yeah yeah <laughs> i mean come on i mean for me i'm like oh this town just got so metal <laughs> I, I think right I, well i tell you what i think what uh what really devastated me was talking about recontextualization. It, it, it recontextualized all the previous scenes that took place in Lakeside. Yeah, now every single one of those scenes that you reread has this darkness to it because you know what's going on and what is literally on that la- under that lake. <laughs> right. It's so dark. Yes. Ah. <sighs> uh. And, like, sweet old Henselman. Like, who would have thought sweet Henselman? Yeah. All right. So let's get into Let's get yeah, into get this. Into it. Let's jump in. <laughs> All right. So chapter by chapter, chapter 28. I'm sorry, chapter 20. Thank you. Um, yes, 20. And so in this chapter, we have Shadow, who is uh, driving a rental car. Now, he knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. So this is never one of those instances where he, I don't know, has this light bulb moment as he's driving into Lakeside. Now, he knows exactly what he's doing. He actually had a light bulb moment earlier. Uh, in past At Mr. Nancy's. Right. So he comes back into Lakeside. And he, he looks out over the lake and he sees that old clunker. And, of course, that clunker is the, the car that... Uh, 
they put out there every spring. They put a new one out there, and everyone takes bets to see when the thing is going to fall through the ice, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, when this first popped up in the book, it was an innocent thing. I thought, oh, that's kind of, I guess, kind of cool, but also kind of not Kind sick. of a wholesome, you know, small town kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, they've definitely felt small town. Like, this is something I could definitely see a town having done for decades and decades. Uh, exactly. Right. However, not so good for the environment, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine having tons and tons of metal uh, in the the uh, river uh, being a good lake thing. where you fish. Right, not the best thing. But anyway, uh, beyond the environmental issues. Um, so anyway, Shadow gets uh, down there, right? Because he's determined to get out, out onto that lake. So he pulls his car up. There's a sign that says uh, not to go out there because of thin ice. He just, you know, whatever, brushes it aside and... Cut your losses and turn back now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He goes out onto the lake and he kind of makes his way. He knows the ice is thin. He can tell he really shouldn't be out there. He knows that. But uh, he needs to see what he thinks he's going to see. So he makes his way to the car, right? And when he gets there, there's like this... And I love this word because I've used it before in my own writing, uh, miasma. Yeah, there's this thick miasma which surrounds this car like you know something's dead, something is sick, there's a rottenness, but uh, you can't like see it, at least right now. So he looks inside the car, there is uh, some stains and everything, but for the most part there's nothing he can see in there. So he tries to break the window with his with his hand. That doesn't Stupid. work. Uh, it only gives him a hand that hurts. And uh, <laughs> so then he grabs the antenna in the front of the car. And he's able to kind of slide it down and jimmy the lock so he can get inside. Uh, once he gets inside, it's actually worse, the miasma. Um, he's the, he almost throws up, actually. Probably um, can smell it a bit. A little bit. So then he reaches down, he hits the uh, the button or the latch to open up the trunk, uh, the trunk release, and he makes his way slowly around the car, and he sees Allison McGovern, the uh, young girl, uh, teenager who with the braces, um, who was on the bus when he was coming into Lakeside, and uh, she is laying there in the trunk. Um, she's frozen. She, of course, she's dead at this point, but her body has been perfectly preserved, so it's not yep. like it's a rotten. Being frozen skeleton. will do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, sadly, her her eyes are open. She looks scared, and it looks like she she died crying. And in fact, the tears so are still frozen on her cheeks. Yeah. Like, thanks for that added detail, Neil. Because this wasn't horrible enough. We had to read that. <laughs> Right. I remember like, come on. reading that line for the first time, like this part right here, this specific part. And I was just, like I said, I was devastated. I, you know, I assumed she had died, I guess, you know, because we obviously learned in the book that there were many kids that have gone missing over the years. Um, but in this instance, it makes it so much worse because we're actually seeing it. We're seeing her dead body. And of course, the devastation is going to be worse. And we'll get to that in a second. So anyway, um, so 
unfortunately, this is around the time that I just decided I've had enough. (laughs) (laughs) You've had your time. Right. And so the problem is with Shadow's extra weight leaning into the trunk of the car, it uh, it, kind of hits the breaking point for the ice. The ice starts to crack. And next thing you know, here goes the car and here goes Shadow down underneath the water. Yeah. And... um, so he's down below, and you can see Allison's face in the trunk, even underwater. Uh, he looks around, and he sees all of these other cars that have been laying underneath the water for all these years, decades, some even decades. And, you know, he knows now that each one of these trunks has a dead body inside. Yeah. Um, and he it wonders... Is a... Junker Graveyard. Junker Graveyard. And he wonders what they did back before there were trunks to cars. So who knows? Because this has probably been going on for a very long time. Yeah, very long time. Uh, So Shadow uh, desperately tries to to get back to the surface. Unfortunately, uh, it's really cold. (laughs) And uh, he begins to... He gets towards the top. He begins to lose... um, the desire, I guess. He's he's tired now. He just wants to go to sleep. A hand, and thankfully, reaches down in the water, grabs a hold of him, and yanks him, pulls him out of the water. And um, he can feel himself being dragged across the ice. And he just passes out. And, uh, yeah. And then he wakes up in a different place. <laughs> When you read the scene and he's underwater and like fighting for air, do you like hold your breath while you're reading it? I do. Because I sure do. I've, I've done that with every every book that I've ever read, where a character. Yeah, like it's so tense. I'm yeah. like, it can't end like this. No, <laughs> I'm just like holding my breath. Like, okay, we gotta read faster. <laughs> yeah, well, you find yourself emulating the the character. So if they can't breathe, you can't breathe. You know. Yeah, exactly. So it's good writing. Yeah. So, but anyways, uh, Shadow awakens in a bath of hot water. You know, not too hot, but hot enough to warm up the uh, iciness of his skin and get his body temperature back to normal. And when he opens his eyes, he sees, you know, his old friend Hinzelman. Um, uh, and Shadow stays in the tub until he's no longer in pain. Uh, Hinzelman just kind of helps him sit up on his own and make sure he's, you know able to do that and not just gonna fall into the water and drown <laughs> all over again um but he ends up helping him to the couch he puts him in a robe and gives him some coffee a little bit of schnapps to you know warm up his insides <laughs> uh soon shadow you know he's starting to think with a little more clarity shadow soon tells him he doesn't understand why he even saved him like why would he when he must have seen Shadow find the body, and only that Hinselman was the one who killed him along with the others. Uh, Hinselman basically says he couldn't kill him because he made a deal with Wednesday, like shock, and uh, Shadow figures out that um, Hinselman was the reason that Shadow could remain out of sight in Lakeside and no one followed him or found him there. Uh, But getting Shadow to leave was also um, his doing, that the reason that Laura, Audrey, and Sam even came there when they did. So Hinzelman, you know, was once a sweet old man (laughs) who knew he'd be the sprite of a horrific child-murdering thing called a Cabald. 
basically uh, sprite a German sprite. Uh, of course, it's German, <laughs> which really isn't shocking. Um, those Germans have some pretty messed up tails. Uh, but anyways, uh, Hanselman's got this poker that he's been twiddling around in the fire, uh, and he pulls it out. Um, he's got the intent of, you know, debating on killing Shadow with it, and uh, you know, Shadow proceeds to make some points on how it won't matter. He's got a date with death already. Uh, but all the while, he's thinking of these you know, children laying at the bottom of this lake. God knows how many are down there. And all these kids that want revenge and, you know, on this guy that took their lives. And Shadow, in this moment, is unable to give that to them. But, lo and behold, listening for the past ten minutes is Chad Mulligan. Uh, with his gun, and um, he and Hinzeman start arguing, and... Hinzelman goes to make a run for it, and Chad just one-taps him. <laughs> just right in the brain. Or, um, Chad one-taps Hinzelman right in the brain and takes him down, and he dies. And, you know, without much hesitation, Chad's pulling Hinzelman's body into the fire head first and starting to lay fire blocks around the place. He's going to set the place afire to get rid of the evidence. <laughs> it's just... He came to that pretty quick, um, and he and Shadow, you know, drive off, and we get to see a bit of something Shadow is capable of, and that is Shadow can see these, you know, dark clouds that Hinzelman has pretty much created in Chad's mind. Uh, he wants him to have you know, done what he did, and also to kill himself afterwards. Chad's going through that right now. Like, how am I going to kill myself? I should just do it with pills, drive out into the middle of the of a forest, and like that, you know, and real peaceful-like. And Shadow goes into his mind, and you know, he can see these dark clouds, and he starts parting the clouds and starts removing them, and removes the whole entire time event from Chad's memory before... Uh, you know, he pulls aside and Shadow gets out to go on his way and Chad gets a call about a fire and goes off to check it out. <laughs> and that's the end of the first part of this chapter that we're going to talk about. But how crazy. Right. Yeah, like I said, this is a devastating chapter um, for a lot, of, a lot of reasons. I really like at the end of this chapter, though, that Shadow is able to employ whatever magic he could muster up in order to make him forget. Yeah, whatever he inherited from his father. <laughs> right. It was, um, that was like the one good thing about this chapter. Like in a chapter where we find out that not only is Alison McGovern dead, but also many, 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 many children that have been killed for, you know, how long? Like the last Eons. couple hundred years or whatever. You know, as long as this town has existed, basically, that's how many children have died one for every year so yeah, you're looking at you know minimum 100 children probably more like 200 children families that have uh, long mourned the children that have they they assumed had run off or something you know or have been killed in some other way but the bodies were never found so there was always like hope probably that maybe they would come back but they never did it's just, it's awful and yeah it's really devastating it is and the fact that it was Hinzelman, you know, and I like how they, they turned his character on its head, right? Because in the beginning of the book, or when he gets to Lakeside at least, you know, Hinzelman comes across as very good natured, kind of like your small town, you know, I don't know, just 
I don't not not a huckster, but like I'm trying to think of the word. Like he's the guy that like will go around and get people to do raffle tickets and stuff, and he's probably the head of a bunch of committees and you know all kinds of stuff. And that's like that's his character as it was presented to you. But then at the fact that okay, he may be that, but he's also this guy. You know, it's horrible guy. This, this horrible guy that has, you know, took a girl who was clearly, you know, I didn't think there was anything wrong with Alison McGovern, you know, as a, you know, she was innocent. She was innocent. Uh, but yet killing her was for the greater good in his mind. And uh, just so that the town itself, you know, would be better off than towns around them. So, yeah. And like, God, that's so dark. <laughs> Especially with the sweet lakeside that we love so much and have fond memories reading about, just got completely flipped around. That its existence gets to continue with the price of the blood of children. Like, oh my god. (laughs) It's so hard to even wrap your brain around. Yeah. But you know what? And I want to admit this right now. Um... Because this is the last chapter. There's um, after we finish the second half. Uh, there's a little bit after that. It's like um, I don't want to postscript. Yeah, it's postscript. It's kind of like a chapter in its own way, but it's postscript anyway. So I don't have any qualms about uh, it revealing this, but I still want Shatter to come back to Lakeside and live there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, no kidding. Well, because here's the thing, I. Okay, the Hinselman thing was terrible, but other than that, the town's great. You know, it, it doesn't. He's dead now, so it's all yeah, good. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect poorly on the rest of the town. You know, the, and I'm sure that Shadow is a more of a god than Hinselman is. That he could keep it going on his own rights. Yeah, I mean, I just want Shadow to come and live there because I think it's such a nice place and peaceful. Plus, I mean, he knows people in town now. You know, he knows yeah. a lot of people. You know, they all recognize Sam him. Sam could be his neighbor. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then he could see Sam. You know, Sam could be, you know, nearby. So. We could see more of her. Right. So have you actually gone any further than what we've read? Yeah, I've read the whole, read chapter. The whole chapter. Okay. So, all right. Um, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about it next week. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I, look, this chapter was sad, and it was sad to see Chad, you know, kill Hinzelman. It was it was triumphant, but also the fact that it it hurt him to know that he had killed somebody in cold blood. You know. Yeah, exactly. I love that Shadow was able to you know, remove that pain from him. Yeah, that was the one good thing in this chapter. Other than Hinselman, <laughs> the only yeah, cheery thing. Only, other than Hinselman dying, which of course was something to cheer about, uh, but other than that, it yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a fun chapter to read. No, but, uh, not at all. But anyway, yeah, uh, good stuff though. It really was able to take something that we had you know dealt with earlier in the book and bring it back around and like oh wow moment. That was this is one of those oh wow moments. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, very much so. Just I was curious why you know Lakeside was the way it was at all, and 
but I sure as heck didn't think it was anything like this. Yeah, every every <laughs> like, town's got a dark un- dark, a dark underbelly, so. That sure does. Yep. All right. Uh, I guess that's it for the chapter by chapter. In fact, that is it for the episode. So uh, next week we'll be back, of course. And uh, until then, have a good one. And we'll see you next time, Godlings. Have a good night, Godlings.